0: Audio Podcast Network. Her story, baby, you need it. Lots of wine, you know, we got it all right here. On our little podcast, just a little sip. Oh yeah, time to educate. Whining about her story with Kelly and Emily. Whining about her story. Time to get tipsy. Whine about it. 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 That was actually great. That was fantastic. Welcome to Whining About Her Story, the women's podcast. Women's podcast. The women's history. Women's podcast too. It's a women's podcast where we talk about women. We're women talking about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have, where we love a good musical parody. I'm Emily. I'm
1: Kelly. And
0: thank you for joining us today. That actually, I've been, uh, you know how I kind of came up with like the little ditty for our show? Yeah. I've been trying to come up with ones for the other podcasts that we really enjoy and that we're friends with. And I've been really struggling. And so this kind of popped up into my head and I was like, oh, damn. And so like, for the two hours before I came over here I was workshopping it in my head and then like I like made sure all the windows were closed and I like practiced singing
1: <laughs> you're adorable yes
0: yeah my dogs were not happy with me but you know what they can suck it because I pay the mortgage
1: right who buys your food pups?
0: yeah who gives you loves and pets and takes you out at 4 a.m. so you don't poop on the floor this girl all right all right. Well, we do have a say their name. Yay. And it's Melissa. Melissa is one of our listeners. She is fantastic. She's also like really active on our social media. She's one of
1: our funeristas, she's, funerarians.
0: Yes. Yes, yeah, she's a funerista. And Melissa just celebrated, uh, as she puts it, 28 revolutions around the sun. And so we had sent her uh, like a wine glass and a whining about Herstory coaster. And so she sent us a picture of her drinking some wine in the glass using the coaster. And she wrote celebrating 28 revolutions around the sun with some free wine and some sweet merch from whining about Herstory while listening to their latest episode, of course,
1: which we did not give her free wine.
0: No, so no, no, I feel no. like
1: I need to tell people that you do not, not expect free wine from
0: us. You're not getting free wine from us unless you meet us at a bar and like, you know, earn it. Yeah. That like, hey, you're worth me buying you some wine. Let's do this, okay? <laughs> but yeah, Melissa, thank thank you so much for listening and your continued support. and Happy birthday to you. Ooh. Can't sing the actual song cuz that shit is copyrighted.
1: I know. I think that's so funny. I know.
0: It, it That's why at restaurants they always have their like happy, happy birthday instead of yeah, the actual song. Yeah, it's always something different yeah. Yeah,
1: because it's copyright. I just think that's so funny. That's yeah.
0: That. But you know what, Melissa? Just uh, take that special musical intro as our tribute to you. Yep. Yes. Get tipsy. Enjoy your wine. Have a good wine. Have a good wine. Yeah. But uh speaking of wine, Kelly, we're drinking the cutest wine ever today.
1: I'm trying to remember where I saw this at or like where I got it. At. I don't remember, but I was at It was probably, let's be honest, it was
0: probably Costco. I was going to say Target. <laughs> um
1: and like I was walking around even though I don't really need wine. I have plenty of bottles, but you know, every once in a while I still go and look.
0: Wine is like not? books. You're like, I'm just going to browse. And then you end up with 10 more books when you already have 20 on your reading list.
1: So I ca- I, I saw this like pack of wine and they're like mini bottles. They're 187 milliliter bottles, which I think is like a glass of wine typically. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my god, those are perfect! So there's six different flavors, and so today we're drinking the Moscato, and it's from a brand called Bloom and Blossom.
0: Can I just say these are the perfect wine bottles to sneak into the movies? Oh, yeah. You know, when we start we're going really to like movies again,
1: anywhere, like yeah. It is- either purse or pocket if you're wearing a good pair of pants that have good pockets it's purse or pocket sized
0: do you remember that like little personalized size box wine that was in Mm -hmm. the cartons I was telling you about and on the packaging itself it's like showing people putting it in their purse it's like take this wine anywhere with you and I'm like I don't think you're allowed to do like I don't think that's legal take it to the mall Drink it in the carpool lane, like no, please don't. Like, but they were advertising it like this is the wine you can take anywhere. This is literally the wine you can take oh, anywhere because yeah. then it's got this beautiful resealable cap. Oh yeah, it's a twist it's off. Sturdy. It's sturdy, very pretty. Yeah, and then you know you so, can throw it at someone if you get mad. This is what the back says. This is not quite true because it's almost
1: winter, but says so, spring is in the air and new blooms tell the tale of what cha- of a change in the weather. To help celebrate, we invite you to enjoy the best of the season with our new Bloom and Blossom Wines, perfectly crafted to welcome all that is new and to share with family and friends.
0: See, and I bet their fall version says, Fall is in the air! And dead leaves tell the tale of a change in the weather. To help celebrate, yep. we invite you to enjoy the best of, a, of the season with our new dead and decaying wine, perfectly crafted to welcome all that is dead and dying as winter slowly approaches. Right. Fall is <laughs> my favorite season, though. It is, but then it's always like, I know it's around the corner and it sucks.
1: So cheers to Melissa.
0: Yeah, happy birthday, girl. That was a, oh, that yeah, they're glass bottles. That too. was a bitch and clink because we could just like. Lock the necks. That's a good Moscato. Oh my God, I love this. But it's nice because
1: now I don't have to
0: like worry about it
1: yet another open bottle. Although then I'm like, what am I going to do when I finish this? Oh, then we can just drink more. Some of the wine that's open over there.
0: Actually, there is a house in my neighborhood. And I should take a picture. But they have this decorative piece out front mm-hmm. and it is a triangle I, I'm just going to describe this very poorly, but it's a triangle made out of wood mm-hmm. and it's got these little posts sticking out of it and okay. there are lights on the posts. And so whenever they finish a bottle of wine, they oh, put yeah, the bottle on the post and it lights up inside. So then it looks like a Christmas tree of wine bottles. We should make like a wine bottle Christmas tree because God knows we have like a whole forest worth of wine bottles in that this room. Yeah.
1: You can put it on the little stand over there in the corner. Yeah,
0: We can get crafty. I still have my wine bottle, uh, candle, Yeah, string light thing that you gave me for Christmas. And I need really to replace the bottle. batteries. I, I love that bottle. I love it so much. Almost as much as I love this wine. Yeah, it's a really good wine. Okie dokie. Well, I believe I am going first today. You are. I am. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. When this comes out, it's still going to be um, Latin Heritage Month. Uh, So I decided to try and find a story in that vein. And today I'm covering Erendira, the homicidal horse princess. Oh, yes, it's one of those.
1: <laughs> I feel like you're getting into October, Emily
0: a little bit but we're all going to be super cool with like who she's murdering it's fine oh, okay. we're totally it's chill it's one of those yeah yeah we're it's kind of like um Olga of Kiev where it's like man she's fucked up but let's get it girl right, we
1: are on board
0: <laughs> yeah um i'm not telling you to murder but i'm also not going to stop you <laughs>
1: right we're not going to deny your murder yeah either.
0: we're you know we're just gonna i got other th- i'm just going to look this way it's fine Today, we are traveling back to early 1500s Mexico to hang out with the Puripucha tribe. And the Puripucha were a major empire during the pre-Columbian era. And they're still around. They're like one of the indigenous peoples of Mexico. Erendiera was the daughter of Tengexuan II, a Quezonkai or monarch of the Okay, I fucked that up. I'm on board. I'm sorry. I, I have like all of my phonetic pronunciations but I also wrote these notes several days ago and it's all I'm like oh yeah I can pronounce this this is fine and now I'm looking I'm like what is an x doing in here (laughs) that's not where a z goes I don't know anything (laughs) Erendia likely lived in the capital of Tichuan, which means place of the hummingbird. And so hummingbirds were super important to their culture, and hummingbird feathers would be incorporated into important art and items that were considered like luxury items, which makes perfect sense because what? A hummingbird has like five tiny feathers on its entire body. They're so tiny. I know, they're small birds. They're very pretty, They're tiny birds. They're hard as hell to catch.
1: They're... I think we will be the only bird that can hover and fly backwards.
0: Yeah, like there's no way that hummingbird market is getting inflated because those things are way too tough to nail down. So good for them. So while the Aztecs were busy conquering surrounding empires and just kind of like anyone they felt like, the Perepucha successfully remained independent and there is no record of the Aztecs actually defeating them in battle. That's Which, cool. like, if you know anything about the Aztecs, is a big fucking deal because they like did not... It's saying
1: the Spartans didn't beat you in battle. Yeah, the,
0: the Aztecs were not fucking around. They were a hardcore empire. And this is probably why the II, so the monarch, surrendered his empire to the Spanish when Cortez and the conquistadors conquered the Aztec empire in 1521. So if these dudes... The Spanish conquistadors took down the Aztecs like they knew they were in big, like, whoa, okay, you took those dudes down, we're in trouble. It also didn't help that the Perpetua, Perpetua, had been devastated by an outbreak of smallpox. Oh, so no. they were already in a weakened state. So it's not like, oh, well, you took down the Aztecs. They're a bunch of pussies. We're fine. It's like, oh, we're already like limping along here as a as a, an empire, and you took down the Aztecs, which means you're pretty tough.
1: We're fucked.
0: Yeah. So they weren't at full strength to defend against the Spanish. And just a little context here: you know, the Spanish came to South America. And they were conquering everything and spreading diseases. And they were looking for gold and, like, just generally being assholes. I mean, it's colonization. It's the the age-old story of colonization. So, unfortunately for him, Tanguy Swan II would be murdered just a few years later, even though he pledged his allegiance to the Spanish Empire. He's like, hey, we're cool here. And then he got murdered anyway. It's like, bummer. We're
1: cool here. And they're like, hmm.
0: So Ed and Dieta, who was around 16 or 17 at this time, wasn't about to let the Spanish walk into her house without a fight. And she was no stranger to conflict. It's not like she's like sitting on her like fancy pillow, just like being fanned and like getting her nails done or whatever princesses do. She was hard as shit. She had already killed a Spanish soldier and stolen his horse. She then went on to learn how to ride it. And this is a big deal because before the Spanish arrived, there were no domesticated horses in Mexico. So she sees this domesticated horse, which I should have looked it up if there are wild horses in Mexico.
1: I'm pretty sure there are.
0: I feel like there are, right? But they probably looked a lot different than, you know, these domesticated horses from, from Spain. And then she's like... I'm going to figure out what to do with this. I'm going to figure out how to ride it. I'm going to tame it. And it's going to become my animal companion because I am a Disney princess out for blood.
1: Nah, they look like regular Mustangs and stuff.
0: Okay. Well, still, it's a it's a pretty big deal. She's like growing up with wild horses. And then she's like, I'm going to tame this one though. So Erendira is living her Disney princess life, but it wouldn't be a Disney princess story without a skeevy villain. Mm. Enter Nanuma, a leader of the... Parepucha army who was determined to climb up the social ladder by marrying Erendira, whether she liked it or not, like marrying, enslaving. It's like the same thing, you guys. But Erendira was not interested. She's like, bro, you're gross. And immediately I'm imagining like a very like Jasmine Jafar vibe. Like she's just kind of like being cool, hanging out with her tiger in this case, a horse, Horse. and then this skeevy guy comes up, and he's, like, twirling his little beard, and he's, like, "Mm -mm 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 -mm." and then he has, like, a weird rapey song, like, uh, Frollo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which, if you listen to that song. Oh, no,
1: it's totally, like, I'm, like, he wants to rape her, but he's, like, at odds with himself
0: it that song is basically rape culture because he's like oh I'm so mad at you for giving me a boner how dare you and if I can't have you then fuck you like it's it's, so bad it's so gross he's probably which I think is the point no absolutely he's honestly in my opinion the scariest Disney villain because I'm like dude we all know him We all know him in some capacity. Like, he's so real. I could get drunk with, like, Scar or Ursula or, like, a lot of these other Disney villains and have a good time. But with him, I'm like, dude, you're super rapey, and I just kind of want to push you off of Notre Dame into some lava. Can we get that arranged? Cool. So, Arandira was busy riding her horse through the forest, singing about adventure and independence, and commuting with critters. So, Nanuma did what any reasonable person would do. He attacked Arandira's home in the middle of the night, and thankfully, her horse best friend was there to help her escape, and they trampled his ass on the way out. But, like, can't you see this as a Disney movie? Oh, yeah. Like, except she doesn't kill the Spanish soldier to get the horse, she just, like, finds it in the forest. Like, I'm shocked that Disney has not disney this story because all of the elements are there. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Ed and rode off into the wilderness to regroup. And it was while she was away that the Spaniards invaded mm. her city, bringing with them Christian missionaries to of spread course. the story of Jesus, whether they liked it or not. They probably got along with the Pneuma. They're like, oh, Forcing stuff on people, whether they like it or not. Yeah, man, I got you. What's up? Let's do the secret creepy handshake. <laughs> so when Ed and Dara returned, she was none too pleased. While riding her horse, she went full Braveheart and stirred her people to action. And according to the, the written account slash maybe fictionalized tale of this, she said, quote, We have seen the Spaniards who came to carry away our treasures and seize our lands. Yet today we just look on as these men who appear in the guise of beggars, come to take away our children as if they were orphans, to destroy our gods, and to impose upon us a strange religion. What then shall be left of us? They can take our treasure, but they can't take our freedom! Ah! Full face paint and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got the face paint. She's got some hummingbird feathers on. She's, like, ready to go. She has a kilt made of hummingbird feathers. And she rides up and everyone's like, damn, she killed a lot of hummingbirds to make that skirt. Respect. But Yeah, again, I'm like, okay, so this is Disney meets Braveheart. Love it. So she set up a base camp on top of a hill and led her people in a war against the Spaniards. And when they, whenever they were able, like capture a Spaniard's horse, Erendira trained them to ride, ride, and she trained them in horsemanship so then they could like build up their ranks and give them an advantage. And then she's like like, giant cavalry, yeah. Which I'm like, damn, girl. So now she's Mulan. Uh, She's training her own army. She's got this. She's uh, using those like little bracelet things to climb up the pole, and you know, making everyone else look like a bitch. Unfortunately, it was during this war that Edendia's father was murdered in his sleep by the Spaniards, who were probably not super happy that even though he had surrendered the empire to them, that his daughter was like, fuck, I, I'm sorry, I was not consulted in this decision, and I do not abide. When Edendia heard of this, she rushed to be with him, and it was around this time that her people began to become overcome by the Spaniards,
1: mm.
0: which, like, unfortunately... If we know anything about history and the conquistadors, we all kind of saw coming. While we know about the fate of those conquered by the Spanish, Aundrea's fate is a little less clear. And by a little, I mean totally. Who the fuck knows? Some stories say that she completes suicide by drowning. Which that's such a cop out. And I feel like whenever we hear about these warrior women, there is always a version where they die by drowning themselves. Every. I agree fucking time. It is so played out. People of the past, stop relying relying on this as a storytelling crutch. We're over it. According to the first written account of Andrea's story, which was written by a Mexican judge in the 1800s, she tried to seduce a monk who achieved sainthood by not falling to this, like, lusty native gal, which is just full of super racist bullshit and stereotypes of... Mexican women and indigenous women and all that. So I'm going to say fuck that. Some legends state that Erendira was kidnapped by her own people and held in a temple to prevent the Spaniards from finding and killing her. So like in this scenario, I'm imagining shit's going down they're losing and she's like nope I'm gonna keep riding into battle and they're, like, and they're like no fuck we are not letting you die and they had to like imprison her in a temple so right, she wouldn't like, go and you're get herself all killed
1: fuck, or, yeah like you're it you're all yeah. we fucking
0: have stop yeah. being an idiot we need to save that hummingbird skirt because that shit is tight <laughs> <laughs> so while well, the story of Ed and is dubious at best because the first and like only main written account was written by that that mexican judge in the 1800s remember the story is taking place in the 1500s Mm -hmm. uh she has still become a symbol of indigenous resistance to spanish conquest and has served as the antithesis to Malinche, who was an indigenous woman who we do know existed and she served as cortez's translator mistress and helped him in his conquest and I know, uh, I've been,
1: Cortez.
0: I know I've been throwing Cortez's name around. I probably should have g- given him some context. He's like the big baddie of conquistadors. That's all you need to know. He's like the conquistador. But so she's seen as kind of this traitor that helped facilitate the oppression of her own people. And Erendira is the opposite of that, where even though you know, her father surrendered the empire and her people were just kind of like... I guess she's like, no, that's not good enough for me. And so she's the, so like her legend is perpetuated in oral stories and she's still celebrated and things are named after her. And so Erendera was lifted up as a symbol of pride, bravery, bravery ingenuity. Bravery. Braver, braver. And the Peripuchas past. Which I thought was sweet. And I thought that was a, a fun way to explore that period of time a little more, and also I had never heard of the Paredupucha, which I'm so sorry. I think I pronounced it ten different ways. I should have put the, I should have put the uh, phonetic notes next to every mention of it. But when I was writing this, I was feeling real confident.
1: You're like I got this shit.
0: But they're still around, and I'm like, I, I, I felt really stupid because when I think of indigenous people of Mexico, I think like the Aztecs and the Mayan, you know, all that. I had never heard of them. And like, there are still some Mayan people around. There's, these people are still around. I'm like, man, we, I feel like you and I have tried to learn more about the indigenous peoples in the United States, but I haven't really branched out into the indigenous peoples of other areas. So that was cool. So that is India, the Homicile Horse Princess.
1: Sorry, yeah. that just makes me, every time you say it, makes me laugh.
0: Good. That, it should. It's hilarious. And it's wonderful.
1: You're hilarious and wonderful.
0: Aww, I love you. It's a cold case like no other. In 1888, five women were brutally murdered in a London slum, Attacks so violent the killer earned himself a nickname, Jack the Ripper. But everything you think you know about Jack and those women is wrong.
1: On Bad Women, historian Hallie Rubenhold uncovers the real lives of Jack's victims, revealing discrimination that put them in Jack's path, misogyny women still face today. The show challenges established theories about the murders, causing many supposed Ripper
0: experts to see red. Listen to Bad Women wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So today I am whining about Maureen Connelly. Um, she was born in San Diego, California on September 17th, 1934. So just a few days ago, but many years ago, <laughs> just in case you didn't know.
0: Um, We're was, whining about an infant today. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, she's done amazing things in the like weeks she's been alive. Putting
0: no. all of us to shame.
1: She, this girl does, trust me. Um Maybe not everyone, but me for sure. But she was the first child of Martin and Jessamine, which, you know how, like, you use Alice as your, like, bar name? Jessamine might be mine.
0: Oh, that's a good name. We need to bring that back. Like, I'm sick of Riot and Gunner and Axel, where it's like, stop naming your children after car parts and weapons. (laughs) Right? Name them Jessamine. And go by Jess for short.
1: Mm -hmm. Um... Her parents divorced when she was quite young, three years old, and um, she was raised by her mother and aunt. And actually at one point during her, like when she was growing up, her mom told her that her dad had died, like her biological father had died and it caused, I don't bring it up again, but it did cause like some problems later in life when she found out her dad was still alive and he just left. Oh, damn. Not between her and her dad, but between her and her mom. Like why, like she was basically like, why would you lie to me? Like he left like he left the family that's not your fault like why would you lie to me about it though
0: quick parenting tip don't lie to your kids about that because take advantage of the fact that they're young enough where they don't understand maybe how serious something was or the ramifications and then it becomes normal same with
1: adoption yes like I understand like if you don't want to necessarily bring it up but like if your kid asks you about it I th- don't lie. See,
0: I think you should be upfront with your child I mean, that they were adopted I right away. Well, I think there's a certain age.
1: Like if you tell a three year old they're adopted, they're not gonna understand. But like maybe five. See, I would say three.
0: Three to five.
1: Yeah. So they to they five. totally
0: understand. And then also it's going to but be normalize it. But it's gonna be way easier than when they're an adult and they find out that you lied to them mm-hmm. their entire life. Because, wow, way to ruin your relationship with your child.
1: Right. And those are like, you know, if you do a little white lie to your kid, that's one thing, but like something huge and life impacting like that, don't lie about it.
0: Lie about Santa who is definitely real for any of our young listeners. He's soups real, and she you said better a be good. Said a bad <laughs> You better be good, okay? Otherwise Santa will not come to Do Australia. Do not repeat
1: the bad words.
0: Yes. Santa's <laughs> um, listening, but don't lie to your children about what happened to a biological parent or whether or not they're adopted.
1: Right, exactly. So like I said, she was raised by her mother and aunt, um, and as a young child, she loved horseback riding. She, you know, like... They never said how she got into it, but it like it sounds like it was maybe a family friend. But horseback riding was really expensive. Like it's expensive to own a horse. It's even, even expensive to rent. to rent a horse. <laughs> um, and her mom was not super well off, nor was her aunt. And so, um, her mom couldn't pay the cost of riding lessons or renting a horse. Um, and so she, you know, kind of had to find something else to do. And she, what she found was around the corner from where she lived there was the University Heights Playground in San Diego. So one day, a nine-year-old Marine... That's just, it sounds like Marine, so in my head I'm like, wait, what? And, so a nine-year-old Marine... Marine. Yeah, exactly. Um, she was walking around her neighborhood, and she happened to see two of San Diego's finest tennis players, Arnold Saul and Jean Garrett, working out on the on the local tennis court. She sat down and was absolutely fascinated by watching these two and the skill with which they were playing um, as they served and volleyed back and forth that she decided then and there that she was going to be a tennis player. She's like, I can't be a horseback rider. I'm going to be a tennis player.
0: I totally thought this was going to go into a different direction. You know, that, um, like, you know, those little saw horses, like it's the horse head and the stick and you pretend to ride it. Oh, you thought she was a, gonna
1: pick up like hobby horsing?
0: Yeah, hobby horsing, that's it. That's a sport. People do I don't like, know if it was a sport back then. But though. that's a thing now. So I'm like, is this where hobby horsing came from? Where she's like, I'll just make my own fucking horse, which oh God. also would have been pretty impressive. But I love that she's like, I can't be a horseback rider. So I guess tennis will be okay. Yeah. Um She's got this like drive me. for athleticism, though. Clearly. Obviously.
1: So, like I said, she took up the game of tennis, which I find funny. And the reason I find it funny is because in my head, even though I played tennis growing up, in my head, tennis is a rich person's sport because it makes me think of like country clubs and like, you know, Wimbledon and all these like super fancy like things. So the fact that like she couldn't afford horse riding in my mind means she shouldn't be able to afford tennis either, even though I know 100% that's not true. But, you know, in my mind, it's a rich person's game no and
0: i i think that's a valid way to think because also tennis was a very exclusive sport you know when i covered angela buxton and althea gibson althea was discriminated against Mm -hmm. for being black angela buxton was discriminated against for being jewish they were like no you have to be a very specific kind of person to play tennis but it wasn't
1: even just tennis
0: a lot of sports (laughs) let's be honest a lot of shit was racist and anti-semitic uh at least tennis they allowed women But when you think about it, like, okay, I'm just thinking of where we live. You know, we live in a city, not as big as San Diego, mind you, not even close, but we've got a ton of public tennis courts. So you get a racket. You get a ball, you're tennis. done. You you have everything you need. Right. So I, so I can see in that way if the tennis courts are available, it's probably more affordable than horseback right. riding. Right. Well and a
1: lot yeah, like I said like you said, a lot of them are public courts. Yeah. You know? And but yeah, like I've always loved tennis. And I've never like um, I'm not from a rich family like I'm not, you know. I mean, I played some tennis. millionaire's daughter,
0: but I, I played was, tennis growing up. It was fun.
1: I never played competitively.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. I just took But I always lessons. loved
1: it. See, I never even took lessons. Um, but I remember playing it like in gym class in college even. Um, but I was always really good at tennis and like badminton or other games that I could just whack something really, really
0: hard. I love badminton because tennis, I always hit the ball too hard, but badminton, you can just go to town mm-hmm. on that thing and it'll move like three inches. <laughs> but
1: I really like tennis too. Like had I like, I don't know, like, it's funny cause I tried like every sport, but like in Catholic school, tennis wasn't one of our options because we like, we didn't have a tennis court. Yeah. So like I tried everything except for soccer and wrestling cause my mom wouldn't let me. <laughs> um and football because they don't like girls but I tried everything that was like available to me and I like I really wish tennis had been because I feel like that's something I would have followed into high school but by the time I got into high school I was like I'm not starting something new now
0: it's interesting that you say that uh your mom wouldn't let you do wrestling I knew a girl in high school a friend of mine she was on the wrestling team and obviously we did it's, not have a girls wrestling no. team no so she there, had there to is, be
1: there isn't such a thing if a girl wrestles they're on the team. There is no female wrestling. It is... Right. It's supposed to be a neutral gender sport, but a lot of men won't wrestle women.
0: Yeah, so she was she was on the wrestling team with all the guys. Uh, unfortunately, she did not last because they mm-hmm. bullied the absolute piss out well, of her. Either,
1: either the team they're on will bully them, or yep. when they go to tournaments, like I said, people won't want to wrestle them because it's either, oh, I don't want to wrestle a girl because I don't want to hurt her, or... Fuck, I don't want to be beat by a girl. Yeah, you know, it's this weird because double standard. I, I cheerleaded for wrestling, which sounds so weird, but it was actually a lot of fun. And the our wrestling team was fantastic, even though they like playfully like not harassed, but they like teased us a lot because they were like, you sit on a cushion and like slap a mat, like
0: yeah, and you're playing grab exactly. ass with other guys. Shut up! But, we're like, all being weird but it, here, but <laughs> it was
1: great. Like, and but yeah, like there were there were a few women that we saw that yeah, like a lot of times they wouldn't be on the first string of their teams wrestling because yeah, like people wouldn't want to wrestle them. And i always that's so really unfortunate. Them.
0: Like here's the thing, like sexism hurts everyone. If a guy is too uncomfortable to wrestle a, a girl, Right. In in a professional setting, like this is a sport. This is there's refs, there's officials. Like you're not like wrestling mm-hmm. someone in a back alley or anything. And if you are too threatened to wrestle them, right. like what does Although, that say about you as a person? I
1: guess it does make me also wonder that, like you know, I guess if you're a guy going through puberty and you get random boners, I would understand not wanting to wrestle a girl either because you're like, what if in the middle, like you're wearing a fucking singlet, like what if in the middle of a match you're just like, well, I'm turned on, like. I understand that portion of it, but I'm still like, just fucking do it. Is
0: that are boners that sensitive though? Where like you're in the middle of like a competitive match where you're exerting a lot of physical Have you not energy. Heard and- those
1: stories about guys that'll just like randomly get boners in class, like when they're like first going through puberty. No, 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 no.
0: But what I'm saying,
1: I'm saying like random boner.
0: No, I get okay. I get popping a random Woody here, but when you are exerting a lot of physical energy, you're panting, you're exo- You know, it's like. Although maybe I'm now just describing something. I know, I'm I'd- like Emily, think about what you're saying. Are we are we gonna unlock the secrets of random woodies yeah, right. anyway <laughs> our male listeners please educate us because the health system i don't even understand how my own body works let alone right. the male body
1: <laughs> feel free to send us an anonymous email to whining about her no pictures no please. pictures
0: attachments will be deleted immediately we
1: will find you and have you arrested for something yeah. i don't know so marines tennis career began at just the tender age of 10 years old on those municipal courts in san diego Her first coach was Wilbur Folsom, who was um, a tennis legend in his own right that had gotten injured and ran a tennis shop and taught lessons in the area. This is my favorite sentence in my entire story. Potentially the best sentence in the universe. Um, So, Marine shagged balls for Folsom in return for lessons. So do you know what that means? Shaking Does that mean balls? you you
0: catch the balls that like yep. go out of bounds? Well,
1: you're yeah, you're that person that either if they're not playing against someone, or yeah, or it goes out of bounds, you're the person that goes and gets the balls and brings it back and gives it back to the players. Yeah, I just love that it's called shaking. Can balls. I just say that
0: we just had a full on conversation about wrestling and random boners and then we talk about shagging balls and kelly's favorite sentence is about this like make of that what you will
1: shagging balls um
0: yeah there's there's like a professional at wimbledon who's like title is the ball shagger which
1: it's I, i mean i think it's because like it stems from britain you know oh yeah even though shagging over there actually is like sex, so did, I don't know.
0: Did I ever tell you when I had uh, a kid I was babysitting? Ask what shagging means. What
1: oh, were they watching, like Austin Powers or something? Yeah. Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i kid you why not. was
1: that child watching austin powers i mean you're the, a terrible babysitter no,
0: because the dad put it in before he left i kid you not the 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 kids want to watch austin powers oh, i mean they dad great
1: movies and but the, jesus christ and how dad was still children? home
0: dad was still home and i was like guys i don't think we should watch that he goes oh no we were watching it last night It's still in the dvd player here let me set it up for you and i'm like uh okay I mean at
1: that point if the dad is playing it it's not on you anymore
0: well, yeah but still um so So what did you tell the child well I was like um and she's like is it like kissing naked and I'm like yes, yes. <laughs> like I hate that you oh know that God, she she was great, like nine and I'm like I think I watched these movies when I was like 10 and yes, you you have a very vague concept of sex and what it means or not what it means, but just, like, right. what you it don't lo- is or looks like.
1: Maybe not even looks like. But, yeah, like, the the vague kissing naked. Like, you kind of understand the general concept. Oh, are you... I have, have you a fruit met, fly now. Have you met
0: my friend? This was the same kid, though, that asked me what Gang Higher oh, Than the Empire right. State yep. was. Because uh, that song was on the radio by Fun, and I told her it was... Uh, when you feel really good, like, you're on top of the world. Oh it's like that. And I, I still... I technically true. I still... I still really hope that one of these days she was in school and she's like, I'm just having a really good day, man. I'm like higher than the Empire State right now. And the teachers are all like, whoa.
1: (laughs) So since you are staying, if you finish your tiny wine bottle, you can feel free to explore our shelf we do still have some of that sweet bitch Moscato. That you I might, like I,
0: I might have some of that sweet bitch because I think that is the most recent. The others, I don't think I dare touch. No,
1: I'm. I know I was like staring at the shelf, and I'm like, we might want to throw some of those out. Like the vodka is probably fine because it's vodka.
0: Oh, vodka! I mean, I could treat a wound with that.
1: But the rest of it. Yeah. You should
0: donate to that that to a hospital. Right. They'll use it in surgery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, back to, back to tennis. Um, so at ten and a half years old, so just six months after she like kind of started playing she entered her first tournament she did real well until the final match where she lost and this is in the 13 and under division so like she's not even at like she's not even the oldest in it you know usually 13 and under I think is usually like eight and up but you know yeah back then I don't know what it what it was but yeah so she did really well she lost in the final match so like within six months she's
0: Number two. Number
1: two in 13 and under. Good God. Soon after, though, she would go on to defeat the girl that had beaten her in the 13 and under league and win the Harper Inc. tournament. This is the single most important junior tournament in the entire San Diego area, or at least it was at the time.
0: Um, There's some tennis people who are like, that's not even true anymore. And then we tell them to shut up because we don't care. <laughs>
1: We're talking about the 1930s, okay? Yeah, so
0: deal with it. You weren't Um, there.
1: So when you win that tournament or when you won back then, you would be awarded a complimentary membership to the Balboa Tennis Club. See? Fancy clubs. Anyways. (laughs) So she suddenly got to go to this fancy tennis club, and she would get to practice with um, other people that were playing tennis, like that were actually good. And a, a lot of the people she would end up playing with were older boys. Because that's you know a lot of who played tennis back
0: older then. what? Christian boys,
1: um, one of whom was Ben Press who would who would um, who not only grew up across the street from her but would go on to be like a lifelong friend and one of the best players ever produced from San Diego.
0: He also couldn't afford horseback riding, right? so exactly. he was <laughs> like fuck. He fell back on tennis
1: exactly. Soon after her career kind of got rolling, her coach, Wil- Wilbur Folsom, she decided to replace him with a woman named Eleanor Tennant. woo Girls Empowering Girls. Not woo! because Folsom was necessarily, like, a bad teacher, but just because, you know, he wasn't what she needed anymore. And Maureen would go on to call Eleanor, quote, the greatest tennis teacher in the world, end quote. Aww. Um, and she would instill in Maureen a driving obsession to win and this is a coach that had previously taught um people who had won wimbledon and the u.s singles open so like obviously she knows how to win and so she like yeah instilled this like you need to win you can
0: win well and you know i feel like okay when your kid is in a softball league or soccer, you know, whatever, it's it's about having fun. It's about getting exercise, teamwork, all of those like really basic values. But when you're competing at this level, if you're not in it to be the best, you're not, you're never going to be. Mm-hmm. So like that might sound a little harsh, like winning is the only thing that matters. But if you want to do this professionally, yeah, it, it kind of is. Right. And at that level, also, can I just say, Eleanor is another name we need to bring back. Oh, yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt. Great. Eleanor.
1: Or Nelly.
0: Or Ellen. Or Ellen. Like, you have so many options. Eleanor from the Chipmunks. Right? Fantastic. This Eleanor. The reason
1: we keep saying we have to bring back these names is because Emily and I are not going to have children. We, like, we're both, well, I guess, unless we change our minds. But right now- Neither of us plan on having children, so we just have to put it out into the universe to our listeners to name their children these things.
0: Here's the thing. Even if I adopt a bunch of cats and use my baby names for them, I'm never going to be able to adopt enough cats to use up all my names. So I need your help to get these names out there. Well, so we have, we have Jessamine. We have Jessamine. We have Eleanor. And that's Alice is episode. another one. <laughs> um, Penelope's Penelope is another really good one. I love good Penelope, one. Too. Yeah.
1: So when Marina started playing tennis... She was a left-hander, but both of her coaches, so Folsom and Eleanor were like, you know what? There has never been a left-handed women's champion. So we're going to make you play right-handed.
0: Well, the lefties are the children of the devil, don't you know?
1: So I find like that interesting. Like, so my husband was, is left-handed. Technically he was born left-handed, but he is such a literal person that when they taught him how to write and, you know, like, the teacher obviously teaches you how to write with whatever their dominant hand is. So when she was telling him like, you write this way, he was like, oh, I have to write with my right hand because that's what the teacher, so like, he is just as shitty with his right hand as he is with his left. He's not good at either. He's not ambidextrous. He's like anti Anti-dextrous.
0: <laughs> but it's, it's funny, school-agers, I would try to teach them to right from their left. And because like 90% of people are right-handed, I would always ask them like, which hand do you write with? And then they look at their hands like... I don't know. And I'm no, like, come on.
1: That's sometimes like in my mind, like if I'm doing something really fast and I need to like suddenly think of right and left and I need to know which hand it is. No, I don't do that. You I do do the L's? No, I go, which hand do I write with? Because yeah. that is my right hand because I am right hand dominant.
0: Yeah. So I learn because kids like look at their hands and they're like, I don't know what hand right. I write with. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't help you. I would teach them the L. So you hold up your your oh, yeah, index finger and your thumb. I'm explaining for our oh. listeners who can't see what we're doing though. And the one that creates a proper L facing the right way is your left. So I'm glad for you left. pointed
1: that out because I distinctly have a memory. I don't remember how old I was, but I have a memory that someone like said that, that they were like, well, which hand makes an L? And I held up both and I'm like, they both make an L. And they're like, yeah, but one is backwards. And I was like, <laughs>
0: oh yeah. You are also a literal person. Why <laughs> did you marry your
1: husband? <laughs> hmm. Well, I don't think we can go into that on the podcast. No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> oh no. No.
1: Anyways, so, so I, and maybe it was a little bit superstitious, but basically they were like, there's never been a left-handed women's champion, so we're going to have you do right. Because clearly, like, that's what wins.
0: I love that they thought it was more advantageous for her to learn to play with her non-dominant hand than to just lean into her left-handedness.
1: You'd you'd think, like, that they were like, oh, no one's ever won with their left hand. Maybe that can be, like, your, you know, little underhanded technique that, you know, you, you're different than it. Anyways. Whatever, but um, so not only did they turn her into a right-handed player, but uh, Eleanor also tried to turn her into what is known as like a serve and volley player, like where serving and vo- like returning is your big strength. And the reason she tried to do that is because one of her previous um, people that she had coached did really well with that. But she soon realized that Maureen's talent lay and probably what is my talent in playing uh, tennis is hitting hard, flat shots from baseline. So hitting it hard and hitting it like basically right at someone's like stomach.
0: Like just really angry.
1: Yeah, exactly. I
0: should be riding horses.
1: Right. She also <laughs> realized that Maureen had intense concentration. Um, a lot, you can see it in later champions such as Chris Evert or Steffi Graf for those that watch tennis. Um. And she, like, she had such int- intense concentration that um, Eleanor once said this, quote, fire engines could roar by, earthquakes could split the street, and Marine would still hit the ball.
0: Like, she was just wow. so
1: focused that it didn't matter.
0: I have to say, I'm surprised to hear that uh, Chris Everett plays tennis because he's so bulky. Like, have you seen him in Captain America? Like, he's so bulky. I wouldn't think he's, like, quick That's enough. Chris Evans. They're all the same, Kelly. This <laughs> <laughs> is a bunch of fucking like, Chrises. Who the fuck is like? I don't
1: even know. I'm gonna Google this person. Now. My friend
0: and I actually came up with the idea of the Church of Chris. So you
1: should definitely <laughs> like rewind that statement because Chris Everett is a woman.
0: Oh God, damn it. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm literally uh, she the is worst. the former
1: number one um, American tennis player from 1979 to 1980. Kelly, are you
0: saying Captain America can't be a woman? <laughs> no, it can be, but that's not what you were referencing. <laughs>
1: Anyways. Um, so oh, in, my God. In her autobiography, Maureen also talked about how Eleanor taught her to hate her opponents. Quote This was no passing dislike, but a blazing, virulent, powerful, and consuming hate. I believed that I could not win without hatred and win I must because I was afraid to lose.
0: This is kind of going into what we were talking about. Like, if you want to play at this level, you have to be in it almost to a level of toxicity I, like, that's, I feel that's like like there's t-
1: it, it comes up later but yeah you're right it is almost like toxic
0: like the I, I I fully believe in sportsmanship I don't think people should be throwing a hissy fit or anything but yeah like if you want to play at this level you have to be in it to win it
1: well and it also depends on like what kind of sport you're playing because she wasn't playing she did go on later to play doubles but like because tennis is a solo sport, general. like if you're playing singles,
0: oh, okay, I'm like, no, you're playing against another person, I get what you mean, you know
1: what I mean. But you can have this all consuming hate because you're not, you don't need to be like, okay, I need to pass the ball, like, you don't have that cooperation unless you're playing doubles, yeah, you don't have that cooperation, you only can, you know, you only have to focus on your opponent, and so yeah, like, hate and that all consuming, like, I need to beat you is advantageous,
0: I will say. I, uh, I did swim more than one race where I was, like, looking at the person laying next to me, and mm-hmm. I'm like, you're going down, you fucking bi-. Like, I would, like, kind of get angry yeah. to motivate myself. Like, no, I'm not letting you beat me. I hate, like, you know. I, so I get that. I
1: read an interview from an Olympic swimmer that, that talked about that, that they were like, like, I, I would basically play mind games with the people next to me because... Why not? Like it can help you win. If you can stare down
0: your opponent and shake them, you're more likely to win. I mean, yeah, I and, and the mentality in sports is so underrated, but it's so important. Right, even uh before like uh like sections or finals or anything like that. We would shave our arms, our legs, everything that a swimsuit or a cap wasn't showing. And then even when we warmed up, we would wear tights under our swimsuits. We never did that. Because... Not only does like removing body hair potentially cut down on drag, more so, it makes you feel really fast. It makes you feel really fast and smooth in the water. Smooth, yep. And it's a and it's it's an entirely new sensation and especially you get in the water, you do your warm up, you don't get that sensation until your first race, you hit the water and you're like, "Damn, I'm fast." And it it's that it's extra that mental motivation.
1: Yep. Um So she was so afraid to lose that at age 14, when she was kind of like consistently playing, she won 56 consecutive matches in a row.
0: I totally forgot. She's a teenager. She's a 14 year old girl. Hate is just a part of who she is at that time. Okay. All 14 Um, year old girls are hateful.
1: She would then go on to become the youngest ever 18 and under national at 14. She became the youngest person ever to win the 18 and under national girls championship which she played on a grass tennis court which she had never played on before until that championship.
0: I didn't even know they had grass tennis courts. I
1: don't think they do anymore. How does
0: the ball bounce?
1: Not as well. Tell me physics, Kelly. I mean it still bounces but yeah, not as well. Physics me, Kelly? Um so as she played more and more matches, she was dubbed um Little Mo.
0: <laughs> it's adorable. I
1: know. Um and she was Named this by a San Diego sports writer named Nelson Fisher, um, who also kind of grew up in the same neighborhood and they kind of knew each other. And she actually kind of like worked with him at the newspaper during like the off seasons of tennis, which is kind of cool. Um, but the reason he, he nicknamed her Little Mo was because he compared her power of her forehand and backhand swings to the firepower of the USS Missouri, also known as Big Mo.
0: That's cool.
1: Yep, I thought um, it was
0: like because her name's Maureen.
1: She was also um a short, somewhat stocky teenager. She's actually like I think I wouldn't say she's traditionally pretty, but she's not like ugly. She's a, she's a decent looking girl. Um, but the way they describe her is, um, she has a rather long face with a slightly prominent nose. Her blonde hair was always pulled back. Usually with a ribbon, and she almost always had a ready smile, and she was remarkably poised for her age.
0: Okay, so we are talking about her appearance because we're relating it to what how they're describing her. But yeah, why why I would know like they're talking about like oh long face and prominent nose. Like wh- okay,
1: it's kind of funny though because like most of the pictures of our her are in black and white, so I don't know if the ones that are in color are like post colored. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in all the pictures that you see, like it doesn't look like she has blonde hair. Maybe it's a dirty blonde. But yeah, most like almost all the pictures are in black and white. So um but yeah, so she's she's known as Little Mo, which I love.
0: Oh I think she's kind of a cutie. Yeah.
1: She's a cute smile. Anyways, moving on. She would go on to repeat her victories, uh re- repeat her victory in nineteen fifty, um, main- maintaining her the national girls championship. So she defended her title. However, in 1951, she would decide to pass up the National Girls Championship, even though she was still eligible. And instead, when she graduated from high school, she went east with Nelson Fisher's wife. So the guy that was writing about her, like I said, he was from the same neighborhood. So they were like pretty good friends. So his wife, Sophie, because he was like pretty invested in her career. So like his wife was like, hey, I'm going to be your chaperone and we're going to go play in tennis tournaments on the East Coast. So they went to the East Coast and played in women's only tournaments. Um, so two years earlier, going back quickly, her coach, Eleanor, had made the prediction that before she was 17, Maureen would be an American champion.
0: I mean, she's four, She when she's 14, she's already straight up killing it. Yep.
1: So at this point, 1951, she is 16 years old. I had to go back and look at her birth date. So she's 16 years old, and she's going to prove Eleanor correct in September of that year. Maureen would win the first of her three national championships at the uh, the stadium of the Westside Tennis Clubs in Long Island, New York. Um, Nelson Fisher would actually go on to fly out there to watch her play with his wife um, so that he could report her victory. And he made... um, he he, particularly called out the fact that the great Helen Will, Wills, who was a very popular female tennis player, um, whose game Marine like closely resembled, had been a year older than Marine when she she had won that same title. So he's pointing out that hey, she's younger than like the one of the be- like best women's players. Yeah. Um. So after that championship, her mother, Marine, her mother and her coach Eleanor would go to Wimbledon. 1952, she is 16 to 17 years old. She's Come going on. to Wimbledon for the first time. Um, So she would play in several English events prior to Wimbledon because I'm pretty sure you have to, like, win your spot at Wimbledon. Yes. You can't just, like,
0: go to Wimbledon. We I mean, could,
1: you can go and watch Wimbledon. We but couldn't
0: go to Wimbledon and play and just be like, no. yeah, I signed up, I paid my entrance yeah, right. fee, let's fucking do this. Um,
1: <laughs> During these events prior to Wimbledon, she developed a source, sore. sore Shoulder and she got into a fight with several fights with Eleanor about how serious this injury was. One doctor that Eleanor sided with said that Marine might risk a permanent injury if she continued to play. Um, so Eleanor was like, "Hey, you have to withdraw from Wimbledon. Like, you're going to injure yourself and you're never going to be able to play again." Whereas Marine sided with the second doctor she saw that said it's just a mild, like it's a mild thing. You're gonna be fine. Like, just put some heat on it. You can keep playing. It's fine. So obviously, marine, marine. I mean, it's her own body, but yeah. So she kind of sided with that second doctor, and she was like, "No, I'm fine. I can keep playing." Um, and she she told Eleanor like, "I'm gonna play no matter if this injury makes me lose or not. Like, I don't care.
0: I have I'm to going say." To play. I love that Eleanor is actually like, hey, maybe sit this one out because I don't want you to permanently damage your body because there's this long history of Which coaches being like, oh, I'm sorry. You're literally dying. Right. Do the thing anyway. She, you know,
1: I think Eleanor's like, you're 17. You have your whole fucking career ahead. Of right. You sit out one Wimbledon like you've never been to it before. It's not like you're coming back to defend your title. You're a literal baby. Yeah, baby. exactly. Don't wreck
0: your body. And she's like, no, I'm fine.
1: So Marina would go on to win her first match. And she would call a press conference after it without Eleanor knowing, which is a huge thing.
0: Maureen's such a little Um, spitfire.
1: And this is what she would say. She would go on to say, Miss Tennant no longer represents my views, and I intend to play through at Wimbledon.
0: Oh, damn. She's basically
1: like, she's not my coach anymore. We're done.
0: Oh, man. Like, Maureen, I... It's cool you're doing your own thing, but Eleanor seems to actually give a shit about I your know. well-being.
1: So I, I mean, I, we don't actually know, but, yeah,
0: yeah, but I also feel like she's being very like teenager she is. like at that age, you're very but also, I, if her coach, you're like, no one a, can hurt me. Well, Nothing can hurt me. And if
1: her coach put in that such intense like hatred and need to win, it's hard to say no.
0: oh, absolutely. your your brain is trained to be like, nope, don't care. We're doing this. I hate everyone here right now,
1: right. So in the third round, Maureen had a very close brush with defeat. She was able to pull the match um, after being within two points of losing to a woman named Susan Partridge, who was a very steady English player at the time. So this is a really, really long quote, but it's from Maureen's autobiography describing this experience. Um, So the autobiography is called Forehand Drive. I didn't get a chance to read it, but it sounds really interesting. So this is the quote. For me, looking back on the brief span of rising star, star-crossed tennis years, there is one dramatic moment when I knew this was my year, this was my hour, and this was my time to become a champion. There could be no waiting. It was not the stuff of which headlines are made, but my heart knows a total stranger propelled me to the world championships at the age of 17. At 30 all, so that means 30-30, Sudden, suddenly piercing the tense silence, a young voice ran, rang out clear and bold. Give him hell, Mo. I stood stunned, paused, looked, and saw a young U.S. Air Force boy. His face was a flash of youth shining and glowing with friendliness. I did not know his name. I had never met him. But truly, in that second, I was lifted to the heights by a stranger. I smiled and said thank you in a fervent whisper. Truth can be stranger than fiction. If it seems incredible to believe one ringing cry of encouragement can turn the tide of a, a hopeless match, I say only that it happened.
0: This is a movie, Kelly. There That's is a movie, but so it was beautiful. made a long time ago. Is it called Give Him Hell, Mo? No, but it should have been. <laughs> We're making that movie. Hollywood, right? call us. <laughs>
1: so after this close call, Maureen would go on to win a series of straight set victories. So like she didn't come close to losing again, including the final round victory over another Southern California, three-time Wimbledon title holder holder named Luis Brow. So she won. She won Wimbledon the first time she went at the age of 17.
0: Good God.
1: At the Wimbledon ball that night following her victory, Maureen would wear a blue chiffon gown um, made by English designer Ted Tinling who had actually also made her tennis dress that's kind of cool um and in the customary champion speech that you give Maureen made no mention of Eleanor nor did she acknowledge her presidents during the course of the evening so like she's, she's like I'm done. no she's done she's like I'm done with yeah, you. no but
0: I know but like that's that I don't know that well, feels like a very catty thing where well, it's I think like it's
1: also like you told me not to do this and I won so fuck you yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Upon return, the Sa- San Diegans, San Diego whites? San
0: Diogans. Yeah, whatever.
1: Um, the people of San Diego. Residents um, of San Diego. Were immensely <laughs> proud of their young sports heroine. Uh, and during the summer of 1952, the Chamber of Commerce established, quote unquote, a Marine Connolly Appreciation Fund. And the co- contributions to this fund were solicited to buy Marine a horse. Apparently this was a super common, th- I, I don't think what? it is anymore, but apparently <laughs> back then it was a really common thing that when you had an athlete, like a big athlete in your city, that the city would basically like buy them a gift of appreciation like in, in the stuff I was reading like there was a, another athlete that got like a Buick gifted to them and like stuff like that oh so
0: it wasn't always a horse no I thought it, it was, was just like she
1: like loved horses you know but like basically so what what they what, it, what the fund said was quote it's a token of appreciation for what she has done for the town for the way she has made it a big name in the world of athletics so basically it's basically t- a town's way of being like thank you for making us popular you know <laughs> that
0: is insane can you imagine now day, someone going door to door and be like, hey, there's this like really popular athlete who killed it at Wimbledon in our town and we're raising money to buy them a horse. You would slam the door in their fucking face.
1: Well, it sounded like Maureen wasn't making any money playing tennis. I mean, probably not.
0: But still, that's that's insane to me. That's wild.
1: I know. But I thought it was kind of. Horses are playing
0: really heavily in this episode.
1: I just think it's really (laughs) neat that they were like, we're going to buy you a horse because you can't afford one and you love them.
0: That's hilarious. I I hope she quits tennis and becomes like an expert horseback rider. Like, because she's like, now I don't have to fall back on tennis. (laughs) Now I can trample people when I hate them.
1: On Thursday, September 9th, 1952, which was the day Marine arrived home from Wimbledon. She was. It was proclaimed Marie Connolly Day, and at the airport, she was greeted by her mother and a newspaper publisher named James Copley, who owned the Union newspaper, which was the one that she had worked for, or she worked for in the off season, which was kind of cool. Um, and she actually became a columnist and feature writer for him, like between tennis time, nice. which is neat. Uh, anyway, so the two of them. Met her at the airport, and she was taken to a parade up Broadway Street. It was a fifteen thousand spectator parade with bands and uniform drill teams and ticker tape. Which, god damn it, I, I was gonna say parade. ticker
0: tape. I even um, if there wasn't ticker tape, I'm her street head canning. There was right.
1: So this that night, she was pre- you know presented with this fund, which ended up having a, a total count of contributors of five hundred sixty four people. And in total, they gave $1,534, which today is about $15,000.
0: Shut the front door. I mean, but
1: between like 500 and some people, that's not. That's like two bucks each, but
0: still, if, you know. It's three
1: bucks each, but yeah.
0: What, don't make me math.
1: <laughs> um, but so that night there was a reception for her. It was about a 700-person reception, which just. That sounds terrifying to me, but she was presented with her horse and a scroll that had like the name of everyone that contributed, um, the horse that was there that night was a stand in because, um, the, like a bunch of horsemen, like the city were like, you know, they, they didn't just buy her a horse. What they did is they basically like got this committee of people to be like, Hey, can you like find a selection of horses that would be good for her. And then she can pick which one she wants. Yeah. So like they had a horse there, but it wasn't, ne- it wasn't the one that she actually got. She's it was like, just actually, like, actually you know... I wanted
0: a horse that had spots. I wanted a Palomino. Uh, she did.
1: She, her choice was a, a golden Palomino Shut walking up. horse that she named Colonel Mary boy. Colonel Mary boy. <laughs> which I think is That's my
0: next cat's
1: name. Um, Colonel Mary boy. <laughs> horses always have like, Really fancy names.
0: Sometimes they don't, though. I Sometimes they have weird well, names like Hot Sauce. Well,
1: I've noticed, depending on, like, the stable you go to and if they're showing horses or not, a lot of times they have, like, their registered name and then they're, like, other name yeah. that they like are actually called
0: cuz i've heard like hot sauce tinkerbell moon like it's just the right. most random it's like a- any animal name um, it's the most random assortment of
1: exactly. titles so there was enough money in the fund not only to get her a horse but it was also sufficient enough to cover the animal's upkeep for 2 years
0: damn
1: and um a member of the committee um supplied her with a saddle as well like a nice saddle
0: Aww. so that's kind
1: of cool so she got a horse So she spent her off time doing that, but she was still playing. Like, she's very competitive. So when the 1952 U.S. Championships um, came about, she was seated as the first, like, top spot. And she would successfully defend her victory because this is the one that she had won in 1951. So she came back a second year, defended her title. Um. And then would go on to hire a new coach because at this she didn't have a coach. She had basically fired Eleanor, so she hired um, a man by the name of Harry Hotman, who had taught the Australian Davis Cup, or who was the captain of that the Australian Mm -hmm. Davis Cup, I think, which is a tennis cup. I don't actually know. Let's just assume. But so that was so he was a tennis player and his wife, like so it was like kind of a duo who she also played tennis, but you know it was kind of just like. Whichever one of them could coach her at the time did. Yeah. And this so 1953, she entered what is known as the Grand Slam of the tournament. So it's the four major tournaments in tennis. So it's the Australian Open, the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, and I don't remember the last one, but it'll come up. Yeah. So she entered all four of them, the first of which was the Australian Championships. So she went with Nell. Nell was the one available to take her. I mean, I'm sure he was there, too, because they were, like, they're Australians. So I'm sure that's where they lived. So I'm sure sure she just, like, moved with, you know. But she would go on to learn a lot about, like, social graces and kind of how to act, like, act more proper in tennis circles from Nell. Um, and Nell kind of taught her more how to keep her temper under control. You know, she's like, you know, anger is fine, but you need to... Control it, like, you know, when make it work for you. You basically. need to know when
0: to channel it to fuel your playing versus just like randomly punching people exactly. <laughs> when you get pissed.
1: Um, and she said the most important thing Nell taught her was, quote, to cast off hate and fear when she played.
0: That's actually very sweet. Right. I like that.
1: So while in Australia prior to the championships, um, Nell and Harry put her through. A very rig- rigorous training regimen, the same one that Harry would put his cup players through. Um, and Maureen said that this lifted her game to the highest peak. Like, so she's like, she was at the top of her game. She would go on to defeat Julie Sampson Hayward in the Australian Open final. Oh, French Championships. That's the other one. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that's the next sentence. And then she would go on to defeat Doris Hart in the French Championship. So she's two of four so far of the Grand Slams. She would go on to actually also beat Doris. Funny, that it ended up being the same, too, Mm -hmm. at Wimbledon. So she defended her title at Wimbledon and then went and won the U.S. Championships, too, becoming the first woman and only the second tennis player ever after a man named Don Budge to win the four major titles within the same year.
0: That is wild.
1: At 18 years old.
0: Good God.
1: Yeah. And. Of those four tournaments, she only lost one set because you're allowed to lose like a certain number, you know, obviously as long as you progress, she only lost one set, not even a game. She lost one set that entire tournament.
0: That is insane. Four tournaments. Sorry. Something else that's interesting. And those are
1: week-long tournaments for people who like don't follow tennis.
0: That's insane. Something else that's interesting, Althea Gibson, there's a quote by her that it's something along the lines of, you know, winning once is is really cool but to defend your title is the true mark of a sports person you know because it's like this wasn't a fluke this wasn't luck this wasn't like man you just happened to be really on top of it that year you are a winner you are an athlete
1: well and i think that's why it was such a big thing that the first time she won at wimbledon because she won against a three-time champion like it was yeah. somebody that was defending their title for the fourth time and she beat them
0: and then that she was able to defend her title at Wimbledon again yep. is a really big deal because I think not anyone but you know you can be a one-time winner but to do it again to repeat is exactly. really what solidifies you as top of your field
1: right so apparently during this Grand Slam year she started to annoy Nell because that there were two really large distractions happening in her life that were, was keeping Marine from being focused on her games. One was her horse, Colonel Mary boy for whom she was apparently very, uh, very homesick. And Nell often complained that that's all Marine would talk about, which I think is funny. Um, the other was the fact that she had fallen in love in San Diego, um, you know, in the time off between the seasons. Oh
0: my God. She's Tina Belcher horses and boys,
1: right? Is she into
0: zombies too? Because that's Tina Belcher.
1: (laughs) Um, so you know, I, how I mentioned that she was a a column writer. So Mm -hmm. during the off season, she had interviewed a man named Norman Brinker, who was part of the Olympic equestrian team. Um,
0: oh, so he's a horse boy. Yep. Oh my God. So he, she had
1: interviewed him. And so she had she had fallen like they had fallen in love with each other and, to no
0: one's surprise. Um
1: apparently not long after coming home after winning the Grand Slam, they announced that they were engaged.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm so I'm surprised. That's that they, I'm surprised she didn't end the interview and uh, I just have one more question here. Will you fucking marry me right, right. now? <laughs> so they
1: so now she's engaged. Um so Maureen would go on to um Continued to win singles tournaments that she played in. um, And she would go on to play the Whiteman Cup, which is like a big one. And from 1951 to 1954, so for three consecutive years, she won all seven of the single matches she played in the Whiteman Cup.
0: Jesus Christ. Right? I can't imagine doing anything that consistently. We don't even do this podcast that consistently. Um, So Maureen's
1: achievements made her a darling in the media, obviously. Like, she's young She's pretty, she's clear, like, she seems very well-spoken, you know what I mean? Like, and she's smart. So, she became one of the most popular personalities in the U.S. during that time. She was named Female Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press three years in a row. So, basically, from when she started winning in 1951 through 1953, she was named Female Athlete of the Year, um... In 1954 Connolly would not go on to defend her title at the Australian Championships but would go on to defend her title at the French Championships and Wimbledon. To so see still a so big deal. Yeah, she's three, a three-time three winner. Three years, three years in a row she defended herself at Wimbledon.
0: Okay, I think it's funny that the Grand Slam is like these four big tournaments, but the one that the only one that anyone actually knows about who's not into tennis is Wimbledon.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say Denny's Grand Slam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like I Denny's mean, he's fucking sucks after the Denny's grand slam. But yeah,
1: like <laughs> Wimbledon is really the only like one you hear people like people that aren't into tennis, like even mention.
0: Yeah, it, it's like the Super Bowl. You don't it's have to know anything about football about, like, the,
1: in the U.S. You don't really hear about the U.S. Open, which is unless the it's tennis golf.
0: One. I hear about the golf U.S. Open. Exactly,
1: That's what I'm saying.
0: Maybe that's just because my dad golfs, though.
1: Um. So after w- winning Wimbledon for the third time, Marine would return home to San Diego on July 19th. On July 20th, her and her two girlfriends would go horseback riding. So she took out Col- Colonial Mary Boy for some exercise. Colonel Mary Boy? Colonel. Colonial, Colonial, Colonial Mary Boy. <laughs> also also appropriate. Anyways, so they were riding their horses along a road named, a road known as Friars Road. As they were going, the girls encountered a premix cron- concrete company truck coming towards them. Unfortunately, Colonel Mary Boy shied, and Marine's right leg was jammed between the horse and the truck,
0: like one of those cement mixer trucks. Yeah, she got hit by a truck lo- on a horse. Yep. What? Because her horse no! like freaked out.
1: Anyways, so but Colonel Mary Boy. Luckily, a horse named Catherine Walker happened to drive by. Like, wait, just after the accident happened.
0: A horse named a nurse. Cap- oh, you said horse. A I'm horse pretty sure named- I said nurse. No, I s- you heard horse. You said a horse named Catherine Walker drove <laughs> by, and I'm like, horses are really playing heavily into this story. I think
1: you're just drinking too much because you're drinking from a bottle over there. Shh, I finished the so, bottle. I'm not
0: drinking from it anymore.
1: Catherine Walker happened to drive by, and she applied a tourniquet that she fashioned out of a diaper that she had, um to you know, to stop the bleeding in Marine's injured leg. She described the leg as ripped open to the bone from ankle to calf.
0: Why didn't you warn me? How dare you just Uh assault our ears with that information?
1: Maureen was taken to Mercy Hospital and was in surgery for two hours. And then her leg was put in a cast, obviously. Honey. According to her surgeon, Dr. Bruce Kimball, the fibula, or the small bone that's just below your knee, was fractured. And several muscles in the legs were torn, but not severed. That's a good thing. Um, he said that Maureen would would not be able to play tennis for a month or so, but he didn't believe that this injury would permanently disable her.
0: Okay. That's good, because so Ma- I don't want horses to become the bad guys in this story. <laughs> I'm going to blame the cement truck. Yeah, fuck cement trucks. Um,
1: so Maureen would spend several weeks in very laborious rehabilitation and therapy, um, And but by the beginning of September, she was back on the tennis courts um, in workouts with Ben Press. Remember her friend from the very yeah! beginning? They're still friends.
0: Oh, that's sweet. And they're still playing
1: tennis together, which is adorable. Um, she, found, she started finding out that she couldn't put a lot of uh, strenuous pressure on her right leg, though, without pain and that only after a few games she had to stop and rest. Eventually she went on to acknowledge that the quickness and stamina that had made her a champion were gone. She could still play exhibitions, which she often would with with Ben and hold clinics, but she was no longer capable of playing week-long tournaments.
0: That sucks. So reluctantly,
1: she gave up her plan to defend her Wimbledon and Forest Hill titles in 1955, after which she so she wasn't even considered a professional tennis player yet. Because she nineteen fifty five was the year she was gonna like go pro and she was like, Well, now I can't.
0: Oh god damn it. Um
1: and so basically when she decided that she announced her retirement at the age of twenty.
0: So the horse that the city of San Cymetra. Diego I'm blaming the cement for her after becoming a champion. Is what she had her career ending accent on with a misogynistic cement truck. I'm just saying that cement truck had an agenda. Um, Okay. What if that's, that's like, I don't know. Some kind of like, um, oh, Oh, where are those movies? Where are those movies where people almost die and then they do die? Final Destination? Yeah, that's like some Final Destination shit. Like, I don't know, like, she wanted to be a a horse rider, and she couldn't do it, so she got into tennis, and then tennis got her her horse, and then the horse ended her tennis career. It's like, you can't write that. People would be like, that's way too dramatic, and you're trying too hard. It's like, no, this is real life.
1: So- When she announced her retirement, she said, quote, I thought it would be a little foolish after having worked as hard as I had to go out and lose to the people that I had been beating before. The whole game is based on movement, and I simply couldn't move well anymore. I've always felt it very sad when a person who has been a champion does not know when to stop. She's like, I know when to stop. Well, she she
0: wants to end on top instead of... Having her last tennis memories be of pain and failure. Right. Which valid. I mean, she seems to know her body. Like early on, she's like, no, I can do this. And she did. And now she's like, no, I can't.
1: Right. So um, during this time, her and Norman Brinker were also having some issues in their engagement. And Marine would still go abroad that year and like go to the tournaments, but not play in them. Um, but they did resolve her the lovers quarrels when they when she returned and they would go on to be married in on June 11th 1955 um, also sub note Connolly did sue the concrete mixer company because clearly that driver was not paying attention or something yeah um and in 1957 they unanimously um, awarded her95 thousand dollars um because they were like yeah clearly. Damn. They were at
0: fault. Anyway, okay, so. then that's ninety five thousand dollars in then, the fifties. Yep. Like that's a big deal. Now that's like what three billion dollars today? I, don't know. <laughs> I didn't look it up, but yeah, it would
1: have been a lot of money. One million dollars. Um. So after they were married, they would go on. Her and Norman would go on to have two daughters, Cindy and Brenda. And uh, Marine would remain semi involved in tennis. Like I said, she would still play exhibitions here and there with Ben. She would also be a correspondent for U.S. and British newspapers for the major U.S. tennis tournaments. Obviously, you know, she kind of settled down and didn't travel as much once she got married. She was also um, a coach for the British Whiteman Cup team when they would come to the U.S. for their tournament. So, like, she was, like, their U.S. coach, which I think is kind of
0: cool. Yeah,
1: um, they the couple moved to Texas, where she would go on to establish the Marine Connolly Brinker Foundation to promote junior tennis players. So, like, she's like, I'm gonna help people
0: and to ruin cement trucks, right? In <laughs>
1: 1957, so the same year she won her court case against the cement yeah. company, she also published her autobiography titled "Forehand Drive." And she recognized the downside of her tennis career. This is kind of what we talked about before. Quote. I have always believed greatness on a tennis court was my destiny, a dark destiny at times, where the court became my secret jungle and I a lonely, fear-stricken hunter. I was a strange little girl armed with hate, fear, and a golden racket.
0: Oh, that's so intense. But see, you I know what it. we were talking about? Like how yeah. like,
1: sometimes that drive just becomes this
0: like dark. It's this all consuming thing. Yep. thing because you know you're you're competing against people who are dedicating every waking moment of their lives, everything they put in their body, everything that comes out, well, everything when they you're do. are so much
1: younger than some of these players. Right.
0: And, you know, it, it is all consuming to compete at that level. And, you know, you, you can argue, like, is it worth it to win right. to let it consume you? Right. Or is it better to kind of have a more balanced life? Right. And really, that's the individual's decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really those last two sentences that yeah. stick with me. the uh, The court became a secret jungle, and I, a lonely, fear stricken hunter. And then I was a strange little girl, armed with hate, fear, and a golden racket. I'm yeah, because like, she's
0: a child when all this is happening, too. Like, like right. I, 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 I mean, like she's still a child. Like, yeah. I think of, uh, football players and how CTE is becoming a more known issue and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. It's just an inevitability of being right. hit. It you is. know, your, your, so your it's brain how you is
1: minimize it basically. Well,
0: you can't well, that much uh, without getting it. hit, yeah. but, but the thing is it's, so it's kind of are. like, no, the helmet doesn't work because it's your brain bouncing inside your skull.
1: Well, they're trying to improve helmets too. That's what I mean. Like when I, when I said they're trying to improve it, they're trying to improve helmets to minimize as much as they can. Yeah.
0: But the thing is, you know, you have this professional career, you make a bunch of money and then what you, you retire because of injury, but you've mm-hmm. made your money and then you go crazy by the time you're 40 because the CTE is set in. And it's kind of like, is it, you know, to burn bright, but burn quickly, is right. it is it a good enough trade off? And it's kind of left some to people everyone's say, yes, some decision. People say no, yeah, yeah. I I think the importance is making sure people have an educated decision because especially when CTE was first coming out, people didn't know what they were signing up for. And even even still, I think there's some you know we I don't think we know the extent of it.
1: So for those who don't know, CTE is chronic traumatic encephal. Oh my god, encephala encephalopathy which is like a brain injury
0: yeah so it's basically i just felt like
1: you kept saying ct and i'm like someone's not gonna know what that is yeah
0: so it's basically when you major
1: concussion when you get hit
0: and your brain bounces around on the inside of your skull and it causes trauma to your brain, yep. which then can result in like Alzheimer-like symptoms. Well, you can compl- get like, really aggressive. You can start to lose they your mind. started
1: limiting football players to how many concussions. You're only allowed to have like three major concussions before yeah. you're not allowed to play anymore. Yeah. My brother had that. CTE? Bad. No. Three major concussions. Oh, and they okay. Were like, They're not allowed to play football anymore. Okay. I'm like, what? And he was like 18. <laughs> Jeez. Um. Anyways, so in 1960 1960- 1966, so she's 32 years old. Con- um, Maureen was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh,
0: come on. Yeah. No. Yeah. Shut up. Yep. The story's over. I'm ending it. We're done.
1: Um. Within three years, she would die. <sighs> um. But not from ovarian cancer. What? From stomach cancer. What? Although my guess is it was... My guess is it was... Ovarian cancer that spread.
0: I was going to say, she had both at the same time? What the um, fuck?
1: But she basically had like a reoccurring stomach tumor that would keep coming up and, uh. and eventually killed her. Um, She was 35 years old. Oh my God. Actually, sorry. She was 34 because of the, the month she was born. And she, she actually had an interview shortly before she died. And this is what she said, quote, what more could I want? Everything I've had, I got through tennis. It gave me a terribly exciting life. I met so many people in exalted positions. It opened so many doors, and it's still opening them. I've had a wonderful life. If I should leave it tomorrow, I've had the experience of 20 people. So Ben Press, that guy that she was basically, like, friends with her whole life, said she was a super person. Like, and apparently he said it very, like almost like a prayer very like fervently and he was just very much like she was amazing maureen
0: well, it's kind of like what you're we talking about, and obviously, I, I don't think her tennis caused her cancer, but that burn, that burn brightly but quickly, kind right. of thing. Like she did have these incredible experiences and did live this incredible life in such a short amount of time. Right. Also, she almost died multiple times before that. I feel I, I, at Mainly least with, the one <laughs> with the cement truck, but still. And then she gets ovarian cancer, but it's like, oh no, right. it's a different cancer that got. Oh, like yeah. what? My,
1: my guess though is that it spread. It was probably all one cancer. Yeah. And it just- um, that's just so sad though word.
0: i can't think of the word Mistatic. no it metastasized? metastasized yeah that.
1: um so according to stats um from 1951 to 1954 so basically during when she was playing tennis she was consistently ranked in the world top 10 of tennis players So this is her legacy i don't think i said that um and she reached a career high, hitting number one in those rankings for two years, between 1952 and 1954. She was included in the year-end top 10 rankings issued by the United States Lawn Tennis Association um, from 1950 to 1953. So she was consistently in the top 10. And she was ranked the top U.S. player. It didn't doesn't say female player, just the top U.S. player from 1951 through 1953. So basically, during her career, she was viewed as the top tennis player.
0: Damn.
1: Maureen would go on to be inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame in 1969, and then the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame in 1987. In 1956, she was inducted into the San Diego Hall of Champions and honored as one of San Diego's finest athletes, both on and off the playing surface.
0: And as a tribute, the whole city pushed a cement truck off of a cliff. Yep. It was empty. It's fine. <laughs> um, in
1: 1973, the Marine Connolly Challenge Trophy um, began being played. It's a yearly competition between the best female tennis players age 18 and under from the United States and Great Britain. Aww. Um, there is an elementary school in Texas because obviously they moved to Texas yeah. named after her. And there was a, a television movie uh, that aired on September 5th, 1978. Um. Where uh, an actress named Glennis O'Connor played her, and it's called Little Mo. Aww. Um, and the so this is actually how I found her. I was looking at stamps because I received a book of stamps, like a book from the post office of what stamps they're currently offering. Oh,
0: okay. They didn't send you stamps. No,
1: and it <laughs> sucks because you can't buy like individual stamps. So I don't oh, you to have buy, to buy like, like an entire a set. sheet.
0: Oh my god. Um,
1: but 19 in 19 in 2019 but you can still buy it today um the post the United States Postal Service released a commemorative forever stamp in her honor and it says little mo oh that's adorable it's a really cute stamp but yeah so that was uh little mo that Ma- is Marine so Connelly. sweet yeah i really like that story
0: what a short like fascinating life though right Gotcha. She,
1: she did a lot in not a lot of time.
0: Also, I, I looked up her husband Norman and uh, Norman Brinkman. Yep, and it's Brinker, and it's or funny Brinker, because yeah. uh, the first paragraph of his wiki page says nothing about him being an Olympian. Please tell me it just it talks equestrian. About her? No, it says oh. he was an American restaurant restaurateur who was responsible for the creation of new business concepts within the restaurant field. He served as president of Jack in the Box. Founded steak and ale. And helped establish Bennigan's. And he's sometimes credited with popularizing the salad bar. And I'm like, damn, dude.
1: (laughs) Dude married a lot of people.
0: Well, I mean, in his defense, Maureen died tragically young.
1: Yeah, but he married three people after her. yeah. For a second, I'm like, is he still alive? No, he died in 2009.
0: Yeah, but he he lived a long time. That is fascinating, though, right? And just like very dramatic too. Like her story is just made for a Hollywood like historic drama. I know. That's insane, especially because I feel like female athletes, modern female athletes are getting a lot more attention than they have in the past. And there are some that have kind of risen into the general consciousness, like like Billie Jean King. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. like Selena, or sorry, excuse me, Serena Williams obviously is a really big deal. But I think it's so interesting to see that, like, these women didn't come out of nowhere. There are plenty of female athletes in the past who were the top of their feel the top oh, yeah. of their game you know
1: yep it's in- it's interesting it's i don't know i just find it interesting that like she was very clearly like not only the top in the u.s but like the top in the world and i had never yeah. heard of her until i saw her on a stamp and then i was like who the fuck is that person that's wild that is good so on you wild. u.s post office though
0: yeah USPS <laughs> getting it done
1: so emily What are you thankful for this week?
0: (laughs) Um, I actually have something. Uh, So I have the opportunity to go to this like, it, it, it's like a farm, petting zoo, kids' place. It's called like the Red Barn Learning Center, and it's in this little town outside of Rochester. And uh, Jared's dad's stepmom took the nieces there for them, granddaughters, and they invited us. So it was really nice because the kids got to pet animals, they got to ride a pony, they got to bounce around, go on a like a tractor ride, all this different. Like it's like farm fall stuff. And I got some. Super cheap moms, y'all. I'm very excited. But it was great because uh, Jared's dad and stepmom have primarily served as caregivers. They are daycare, you know, because the parents are working and they can't afford daycare in a lot of instances. And especially with coronavirus, it's been kind of this, well, do we send our kids to a daycare? Do we not? You know, it's like there's extra anxiety attached to that. And so it was really wonderful to see them get to be grandparents, like do the fun grandparent stuff. And then for Jared and I get the opportunity to be like auntie and uncle and like do the fun stuff. Because usually when we see them, I'm like, give me a baby. Give me a baby because one, I need baby time. And two, you need a fucking break. OK, <laughs> like and even um, Jared's stepmom will be like, Emily, I, I I can take the baby from you. And I'm like, no, you will not. You have to deal with this baby all the goddamn time. Take a moment and just exist. <laughs>
1: right, like, let yourself be yourself for a minute.
0: Yeah, but it was, it was really nice to get to spend time with, you know, our nieces and with Jared's family and also to, like, keep building that relationship with the nieces especially for me because Jared you know because he's 100% disabled veteran he gets to go over and help out with the kids a lot more than I do obviously and so I want to make sure that I'm around enough where I'm still building that relationship and right I get that so it, it was a lot of fun and I, I took a selfie with one of the babies and she she saw, she saw her cute. picture like in the camera and she was like <gasps> and so she actually smiled on her own I'm like. But yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. I'm really thankful that... I, I'm also thankful that Jared's family would include me in something like that. We've been dating for almost six years, so it might seem kind of, well, duh, obviously I'm sticking around. I know, but but I there,
1: there are sometimes... You know, people are like, well, you're not married, so technically yeah. we don't know if you're going to stick around.
0: Or even, like, they like me enough to include me. You know, I'm not being shunned. But just that they that they feel like, hey, yeah, invite Emily. We love her. She's great. And that I get that opportunity because I, I grew up in Jared's a pretty small family. Him. Jared's mom and stepmom love me. His whole family loves me, which is a really good feeling. Well, that's why I just <laughs>
1: think it's funny because you're like, oh, that they like me enough. I'm like, yeah, they fucking like yeah, Emily.
0: Yeah, we're... We, I'm definitely the girlfriend where if we didn't work out, his family would go to him and be like, what the fuck did you do? Okay, that's when they're like, <laughs> yeah, we're
1: going to keep her anyway. Yeah, yeah. You,
0: I don't care what you do now, but we're, we're keeping her. We're hanging on to her. So, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. I'm oh. thankful for that opportunity. That? that does sound like a good time. Yeah. Kelly, what are you thankful for?
1: Um, I don't know. It's been kind of a shit week, but I'm going to say I'm thankful for, like my cohort members because this was like a week that, we didn't have two of our classes and everyone was very on top of being like, hey, we have homework due tonight, like just so you guys don't forget. And like, so that was really nice because I totally would have forgotten otherwise. And so, yeah, that was just, that was kind of the good thing that, you know, there's other people like making sure we all stay on track kind of a thing.
0: That's awesome. I also want to take the opportunity to shout you out because last week we obviously didn't put, out, put out an episode because we didn't record because I was really struggling with, some depression and it was all and I could Linda do Hill's to like get through young. work yeah and so th- there was a there was a bra sale at a, a bra store that Kelly and I like to go to and I was like Kelly I, I didn't get my notes done this week I've just been a depressed piece of shit I've been a I've been a mess I don't want to yeah. say piece of shit because like, let's still it doesn't do mean you're a piece of shit and Kelly's like well is, is there anything else you want to do and I'm like want to go to the bra sale bras were like $29 y'all that is insane they're normally like because these are nice bras so I got I got myself set up and I got to spend some time with Kelly and I'm really thankful that you're so accommodating when it's like I'm I'm really struggling like that I totally shit the bed this week or I'm having a really hard time like and you were you were just like so nice about it and I appreciate that and I'm thankful that I can come to you and be like honest hey I'm really struggling Of course. The good news is I think I'm coming out the other side. I've been, like, oddly motivated this week, which is fantastic. Well, that's good, though. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod.
1: Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is com, And as I mentioned, our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you
0: always we also have a patreon at patreon.com forward slash whining about story if you want to help keep the one flowing
1: for as little as one dollar guys
0: guys there's amazing bonus content on there there's videos there's bonus episodes we're going to do a q a video very soon so if you haven't submitted your cues you won't get your a's all yeah, right
1: let us know what you want to know
0: also rate us five stars wherever you listen it is one of the easiest and freest ways to support the podcast Yay. As always, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye.